Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Found Consulting. G'day, Karen. Look at this, same room. How about that? We're just joking before we came on, actually. We were both a bit flat last week coming out of lockdown, but Karen's bought a house, moved a house, cleaned two houses. I seem to have destroyed everything that I've had. I've had someone slash a tyre in the supermarket. I've backed into my garage door, being distracted, talking on the phone. <gasps> All illegal. Understand that. So, yeah, no. It's, it's <laughs> right? Like, you ask how's the move going? It goes chaotic. Everything... Oh, it's just horrible. All these things went wrong. And he goes, are you ready to hear my story? And he always beats me. He always takes it down <laughs> to another level, which is great because we, we need, we need, you know. How many people. how many people do not return? So how many tradesmen, how many pickup trucks, how many insurers don't return calls? I just want to know that. And they always say to you, oh, look, we'll be around about 2 o'clock. Will someone be home? Well, no, everyone in my house works. Onwards and upwards for us all. Thank you very much, <laughs> <laughs> Love it to see you. Okay, let's jump into this week because we've we've actually got an action-packed week. I want to say that, action-packed, yeah. particularly with mandatory vaccination and the fun continues. So in Victoria, by midday today, we'll have the outcome of the Victorian decision on the interlocutory injunction and the purpose of the injunction was to stop mandatory orders. And it's based on the Human Rights Charter, which is that you're not allowed to force someone to be experimented on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's being experimented? Well, obviously someone. I'm not quite sure who's being experimented, but those 120 people believe they are being experimented on, even though they don't have to take the vaccination. So I don't think there's a lot of chance of that succeeding, but that's what's happening. So by lunchtime today, when we, if they publish the decision, we'll get it out to you. The MUA, the Maritime Union, are having another fight with DP World, and that's because they're always fighting with DP World. 22 people refused to get vaccinated under their mandatory policy that they had and they brought a dispute. Let's wait and see where that goes because these aren't people caught by mandatory orders, so we'll, we'll wait and see about that. That should come out in the next couple of weeks. What we have seen, though, is three really illuminating cases that talk a lot about the issues that we talk about every day. The first one is the drug and alcohol case of Masters and Wilma Sugar where a guy who worked in an office had been at work a few times and seemed a bit dazed. They didn't do much about it. He then gave the telltale sign of ringing up saying he'd fallen over his cat and injured himself. That's got to be a sign, hasn't it? <laughs> He's obviously a lion tamer. And um, came to work and was clearly off his chop. And they tried to oral swabs, got nothing, went to confirm it with a urine testing. It was 19 times Nine, that's, I'll say that slowly, 19 times over the permissible level. When pressed on it, he eventually said oh, he must have unknowingly swallowed hash cookies. Now, you can see the difficulty with that. Unknowingly swallowing hash cookies means that you knew they were hash cookies, but somehow you unknowingly swallowed them. Anyway, whatever it is, it came along to the Commission. And the Commission, and this is a really important part of this story, besides the fun in it, they looked at the fitness for work policy, and it was a good fitness for work policy. It set out a number of processes which were reasonable. Everybody knew about it. They knew what the impact would be, that you could lose your job. And so the Commission said, look, whether you knew about it or not, it's not the issue. You certainly did know that you weren't fit for work mm. and therefore the termination was upheld. I think it's a great case and I think it's a great case because it takes us back to what Karen and I have been talking about, policies and procedures being right, 
being understood and being fair. And if that happens, these crazy excuses you get with positive tech. And Karen, you've been in the HR industry where lots of crazy. Oh, how many cherry ripes can you eat, right? Yeah, yeah. And isn't that a test of cannabis? If you've eaten five cherry ripes, you know that you're stunned. Yeah, why are you eating five cherry ripes? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like cheating John with beans. Being in the same room <laughs> as somebody else who's smoking, you just recalled the other day that that happened and. It yeah. must have been a really small room. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, when, that's right, when people are saying these great big white paper things and going, wow, man, yeah. you've got to understand it's not a cigarette, don't you? Yeah. Anyway. But, pro- like, process and policy <laughs> is very, very helpful, very clear. And, look, the, these these interesting excuses and justifications always come out. I mean, they're, they're somewhat entertaining. but Peter Sinclair can do the cherry ripes without dough. I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the justifications and the excuses are interesting, but they're irrelevant when you've got really clear and um, clear policies. Yeah, no, that's so. right. The next one's a discrimination case, Ferguson and uh, Martin and Kevin Prendergast, which is a construction site. Now, my son's a rigger in construction sites, and he comes and tells me the language and the behaviours, and I used to be a building construction lawyer, and I used to work on sites as a young man. And I'm, I don't know, I could still be a young man to some of you, but it's unlikely you'd believe that. But the point was it is a rough old, rough old place, a construction site. But the language used to, to these two Maori workers, and particularly one of them, was deeply offensive and could only be said to be racial in nature. Now, he actually, the guy who brought this claim, also used bad names for himself as a way of sort of dealing with the issue. So he occasionally used stuff which was racial in nature. And the argument was, well, look, if he did, it's sort of okay and it's not really racial, it's just rude talk. And the difficulty in this case, I guess, and this is the real nub of this case, so he brought an adverse action claim before and he'd been sacked for drunkenness and a few other things. So that claim, his adverse action claim had failed. This discrimination claim was after he'd been sacked. I want you to remember that. And he brought it because of the racial vilification effectively that he suffered. The court found he had suffered, and he quite clearly had. The language used was just terrible. And they found that it connected to damage that had been done to him. So it had committed some forms of psychological damage. And they ordered him $50,000 general damages. Now, damages in discrimination law has three major heads. It has general damages, which is loss of amenity and quality of life, economic loss, both past and present, and it also has uh, medical damages past and present, just like a common law claim. He wasn't pursuing the economic loss. He wasn't pursuing the medical claim. And he got $50,000 for what is, in that industry, lower-level discrimination. And it's not sexual harassment, for which there is a very high general damages that's been aligned with the common law. So, And just a bit of context on that. So this is quite significant, this case. So let's say five, ten years ago, would that have been different? No, Do you think five to ten thousand. Com- so general damages five. would have been five to ten thousand dollars. In fact, in the case that was the... You know, Oracle, uh, Stevenson Oracle, the leading case that moved the threshold up for general damages in sexual harassment. They said in sexual harassment, the prior GD, general damages were between 7 and 13, and mm. Buchanan, who was the judge, ordered 13 because he thought it was the high level and it's the highest he could give. And that case subsequently went to $100,000 of general damages. What this case is showing you is that that any form of discrimination now is coming out at around about where the common law. Now, if he'd left and his psychological injury was such that he ceased work and was unable to continue work, his economic loss, just say he was on $100,000 as a construction worker, which is not uncommon in the CBD, his general damage, his economic loss could have been 
three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars. His medical loss could have been forty or fifty thousand dollars. And if his psychological injury was greater, you could have had a claim that was seven hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand dollars, which you're not insured. And if they had brought that claim under the federal discrimination, like the good plaintiff lawyers are bringing, there's cost ramifications as well. And what you get is a letter of demand very early on for a large amount of money and costs. Mm. And you've got to take it seriously because if you don't, there is a cost penalty down the track. Okay. And again, that cost penalty came out in the reference too. So you yeah, can see how, how clear. So look, interesting case that's showing where the tariff for damages is going. The next case, I think this is a case that Karen and I have been waiting to happen in workers' comp land, but we've talked about it so many times around investigations. It's Summerton and Sullen is the name of the case. It was a neonatal nurse who was 62 years of age. She was advised in June 2017 that she was going to be um, suspended on pay. She asked why, and she said for misconduct that they wouldn't, they didn't have the allegations for her. It was only in September after she repeatedly asked for the allegations, she got a letter of allegations that specified what was happened, and no decision was made until January 16, 2018, six months. And this was the provision, it was a breach of privacy rules around client records. So it could have been done within a couple of days. Mm. Um, she had Crohn's disease and the medical evidence was that the impact on a psychological state was such yeah. that it exacerbated Crohn's disease and therefore her claim was around several Crohn's disease-related bowel surgeries and the doctor said, yes, they were related. Interesting case. And the interesting part of this case is there is no way this investigative process and the, the putting of allegations was ever proper. Any claim for just psychological injury would have succeeded because it wasn't reasonable management action. Now, we've talked in the past about adverse action. If you stand somebody down on pay to investigate them and then you drag your feet, it could be adverse action, okay? But whatever it's doing, it's damaging someone. And I can't understand this dragging your feet around investigations. You get a set of allegations, you create an allegation. You might do the investigation and suspend the person and say, look, this is what we think the allegations are. We'll give you those in more detail once we've investigated other people. As part of the investigation, we'll put them for you to get your full full response to it. We'll provide you with psychological support. We'll do all the things you need because we're not presuming you're a bad person. We're just investigating the allegations. Once they're found, then we'll come and put to you, if they're found, uh, in a show cause process. That's None of this is what, six months for one incident. It's just inexcusable, isn't it? Oh, it's woeful. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, do, I feel sick just thinking about it for her, the yeah. lady. In the end, she wasn't, you know, it was found. Um, I think she got a, a, a warning of, of some sort. Yeah, no, she got managerial caution. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So they're just... Imagine a 62-year-old breadwinner. She's a nurse, neonatal nurse, yeah. I think, is dealing with uh, right. babies, right? So And having this hungover head for three months without even knowing the allegations. Now, look, I, I know we're both acting in high dungeon. And, that, um, and part <laughs> I think of that, we're just finally irritated because of yeah, the stuff. We and and we're fatigued and yeah. shitty, you know, like there's a whole lot of reasons why we think. But look, of, in terms of how do you prevent this from happening is that just set out the allegations really early on, be clear about specifically what the allegations are because you can't investigate something unless you're clear about the detail of what exactly is alleged to have occurred, right? That's right. And But, Karen, they're your people. Uh, the part that really shits me about this is, whether your people were good or bad, they're your people. Your values say they're yours. You never treat people like that. You never treat your children badly. You know, if I if I said to you, with Elle, you know, you're angry with Elle about something, do you not tell her, just say I'm angry with you? And she goes to bed that night knowing her mum's really angry and she wakes up in the morning and goes, mum, you're still angry. Yes, I'm furious. And you go, but why? Now, you never do that to your child. 
And your child will forgive you because your child loves you. I feel a new song coming on. Thank you very much, Joe, for taking the shitty. Joe, you're not allowed to use those comments anymore. But my point is we'd never do this to our children. Yeah. We know that our children will always forgive our failings, or mostly as teenagers creep on, maybe not so quickly, but they do forgive you because they do love you. But these are people who work for you. They, they just don't deserve it. Mm. And they won't forgive you and they'll go and talk to their partner or their children or their brother or sister, and that will incite them into more anger. So they're in fight flight. When we come to deal with them, they're not able to have a good conversation anymore because they're in parasympathetic overload. Their brain's not working. Yeah. So it's going to go badly from there, isn't it? So that's enough of me cracking it. It's my cracker for the week, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, by the way, I didn't get Karen's word into the, the, the problem later on. I'm going to try next time. I should have done it while I was having breakfast this morning. <laughs> if we just go on, we've been talking last week, this week, and we will continue it in next week about performance management and discipline. This week, Karen's going to break out with a bit of a tick list, the things you've got to remember as you're actually doing the discipline. And the reason we're doing that is over the last two months, we've got around about 50 cases where disciplinary processes have failed and they have particular risk that sits around it. And commonly what happens when that risk arises is rather than stand firm on an issue, you try and resolve the matter by throwing a little bit of money and a deed at it and think, okay, God, we got out of jail on that. Well done. That's not where we want to be as a business. We want to be able to say when we say something is wrong, we can stand behind it. And probably the first part that I see on a regular basis where people get it wrong, and it's they get it wrong because everyone is scared of discipline, including the people who are delivering the discipline. So they're in fight flight as well. And so they come in, and I think Karen's words she used in the green room before, sorry, I just want to use that as a joke, was that, that people become very clinical and they stop being themselves. They remember the only way the person who's really scared sitting opposite you can hear what you are saying is if you're you and you're generous in a disciplinary process. So don't speak in that slow, quiet voice which says, I'm about to stab you, because we don't go into a disciplinary process thinking we're going to hurt someone. We go in to try and find out truth, respecting the person who's there and hopefully trying to find a way through it that doesn't involve the person losing their job because their job is their life. And if you need that reset, say it to each other before you go in the room. And the issue that comes out so often is the role of a support person. Before you ever start a disciplinary process, look at your industrial instrument as to whether it is a support person or a representative and look at your own policies and procedures because they're two different people. But a support person is there to emotionally support the person. They're not there as an advocate. So in the introductory part of, off of a support person being in the room, you always introduce yourself and if Karen's the support person. So, look, Karen, you're here as a support person to remind you your role is purely as an emotional supporter. That means you're not here to advocate on behalf of Fred. If you feel Fred's struggling, let us know. If you feel you need to speak to Fred because they're struggling, let us know. We can always take a short break. Remember, you don't have to do this from start to finish. But what you don't do is when Karen speaks up to say, look, I don't think Fred understands what you're saying, go, look, that's not your role. Be quiet. <laughs> be very careful about what you do. Be respectful of the people in the room. And so, so look, Fred, you just then, the response to that is, so look, Fred, did you understand what I say? Mm. Thanks, Karen. Okay? Because what we're trying to do is create an environment where people can hear. Remember, when people are in fight flight, three things happen. The first is their executive function fails. That's the thinking part of their brain fails. So you're talking to a person who can't think. You're talking to a person... Secondly, who can't see nuance, you're trying to help them. 
And thirdly, they're driven by the narrative of protection, which is you're actually trying to hurt me. So everything they're hearing is I can't understand what you're saying. So they're not hearing you. I can't understand you're doing this for the right purpose. And I know you're trying to harm me. That's what happens in fight flight. So please, no clinical behaviour in a room. We're humans. All righty. So what we've got here, a slide for you today, a few points for you in terms of helping prepare for an effective disciplinary discussion. Now, I'm assuming here that all the groundwork's been done by way of the allegations and the investigation itself. Um, so that's all been sorted in terms of, I'm talking about the next step in terms of now meeting the employee around a disciplinary outcome. So I've got really there four stages for you. So firstly, notifying, you need to notify the employee uh, that you want to meet with them about the issue. So rather than, can I catch up with you and this has happened, because you need to notify them properly that about the issue that you're going to speak to them about and that it may um, that it may involve uh, a disciplinary outcome. Outline that a support person is welcome rather than saying that you are entitled to a support person. I think with some of our language, we need to be thoughtful around that. Now, of course, Andrew, you caught out earlier, unless the industrial instrument, um, you know, being clear about whether it's a support person versus a representative, but yeah, support person, get that right there. Can I just say, it doesn't matter who they are, they're in your business, representative or support person, and they work and live through the lens of your values as well. I just want to be careful. So there's no one shouting as a representative either because that's also an acceptable word. Mm -hmm. And also outline that there are other employee support services available to them as well. So outline the findings and the consequences based on what your the policy or the rule was by way of and what that will also result in in terms of you're looking at um, a, you know, a warning, um, potential termination, Seek their, this is the important part, seek their response to the findings, okay? You need to... Each and every one. Yes, yes. So make sure that you get something from them on each one. So with that, the next important part is to consider it, okay? So don't just... So this is the problem with people preparing to the extent where they pretty much write a script in terms of predetermine what they're going to do. So, you know, step away for five minutes, come back, terminate the employment. No, you actually need to consider what they're saying because there may be things that you may not be aware of that are relevant in terms of you making the decision. So determine the appropriate disciplinary action based on that. Consider other relevant factors. So organisationally, we talk about condemnation all the time, Andrew, yeah. um, to talk about, the you know, consider their history in terms of employee records and um, in terms of any prior incidents. That goes to harshness, just to be really clear. Mm. You know, if a person does something once, mm. it's a middle level, could be termination, could not be termination, and you terminate, it's inevitably going to be harsh. Yep, and that goes to the next point about based on all that, is there valid ground you know, for termination based and we're considering whether it's harsh, unjust or unreasonable. So the next part of it, therefore, is just once you've made that decision, you notify the employee of the outcome, do it formally in writing as well. So follow up within 24 hours, remind them again that there's support available to them and don't treat the incident or the issue as an isolated matter. There are organisationally, I imagine there would be things that you would need to do to prevent a reoccurrence, so certain corrective actions. So, to think I about think that. the corrective action is the most important part, Karen. If you're not terminating someone, you must build a performance management process around the conduct or behaviour. To your last dot point, what happens if this is undertaken with your manager, who is the... Uh, oh, we'll have to get back. We'll, we'll, get, back to you. we'll yep. get back to you on that one. But the important thing is never, like the same with children, never just say you're a bad girl or a bad boy. Always make sure that they understand what's bad and that you then support them to become a better person. And yep. that helps you in the long run and you always have on your performance improvement plan down the bottom, whatever other support you I always say criticise the app, not the person. Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. Good, no. good. And lastly, we talked about this earlier, just be professional, respectful, listen intently. Otherwise, you're going to miss all the, the gems that they may be able to share with you I mean, in terms of making a decision. 
don't prejudge. We've covered that off as well. And always be guided by your organisational values. Yeah. And the other thing that I just say, please be kind, because this is the worst experience someone else is going to have. It's a very emotional experience. And it's very charged. And you're feeling it yourself. Like, it's hurting you. You can feel it. I, I, after all the things I've done, when I deal internally, I don't sleep the night before. I'm distressed by it. I overthink it. I practice things in my mind, even though I shouldn't be practicing things. And I actually have to be quite thoughtful and deliberate about what I do to be me in the room and not to take in all these preconceptions because I'm a mixture of angry because the other person has done something bad and scared because I don't want to do something wrong and hurt them. Mm. Very hard, okay? Mm. Hard for everyone. Yeah. All right, so can you kick up with the problem, please? David was Gina and uh, G's supervisor at Killer Computers, KC. English was not Gene or Gina's first language. One day, Jean said to Gina, David keeps saying stuff about my body. It is sexy stuff and I don't like it. Jean explained it was never directly to her, but to other men nearby. Gina agreed that he does it all the time. After about a month of this continuing, Jean spoke to HR with Gina. Gina said her friend Patty left because of this behaviour and he also touched her on the bum and often hugged her. The HR manager, Sally, didn't suspend David on pay but took detailed notes from Jean, Can Gina just say, and I Patty. I didn't put, put Sally in as the name. That's, that, that's, Sophie's been adding words to my problems. Anyway, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Patty was a bit angry because she had told the HR manager of these problems in her exit interview. After speaking to the three women, Sally called David into a disciplinary meeting. When he entered the room, he found Sally sitting next to the owner. Who's Sally? I don't know who Sally is. Sally issued David with a show cause letter that said that he had repeatedly spoken in a sexualised manner about Jean, Gina and Patty and had touched Patty on the butt on her buttocks and hugged her without her consent. She says she's English. Oh, just okay. <laughs> David was known to suffer from anxiety and depression. When he was given the letter, he said, I can't cope with this. He was obviously distressed. David was silent through the rest of the process, other than to say that Patty was his girlfriend for part of the time she worked with KC. At the end of the meeting, the owner said, you haven't denied any of the allegations, and as a result, I am terminating your employment immediately. Well done. Thank you. No, I need a really good oh, job. Yeah, yeah, really sure. good job. Yeah, yeah. Good day. yeah. We, yeah God, well, yes. We've got the poll. Question five is, could David bring a successful workers' comp claim even after he was terminated? So that's it. We've ended the poll. Okay, was there a valid reason to dismiss? The short answer to that is no. And the reason is because there was no allegations. An allegation is the identification of an incident that occurs in a date describing the behaviour that occurred so that a person can properly respond to it. There is no way that David could have responded to the allegations that he repeatedly does I mean, do you do it on days he wasn't there? Okay. Yeah. So it can't be a valid reason because there was no allegation that was properly put. Okay. That's a fundamental rule around investigations. The second question is, did David, uh, David didn't ask for a support person, but in the 387D of the Fair Work Act, you just can't unreasonably refuse someone. So the question is, let's see what people did say, by the way. People said, yeah. So it's the short answer is, he effectively was unreasonably refused, and that's what a court would find. And that is because he disclosed that he wasn't emotionally able to cope with it. So two parts of 387 are involved there. Was he able to respond to what was put? No, he wasn't. So it would have breached that provision of harsh, unjust and unreasonable. Secondly, he needed someone to support him or he needed time. So the atmosphere in which he was, it was put to him was unfair, but it's even worse than that. He wasn't part of the investigation. 
So he wasn't given a chance in the investigative place to respond and he wasn't then being told of the findings in the investigation, which again is why it wasn't valid because the process of investigation was incomplete and it's also why it is certainly unfair and unreasonable in the manner that occurred. And so he should have been provided with either time or said, do you want a support person? Mm -hmm. And that didn't occur. They just pressed ahead. The issue is, could the complaints from Paddy be used for summary termination? The answer is absolutely no, because they are stale. And we talked about condemnation. Paddy had already raised these complaints several months before, and they had done nothing about them. Mm -hmm. For summary termination to proceed, you have to be able to demonstrate there is an urgent need to terminate this person's behaviour. Where you condone it by not doing something, you lose the entitlement to do it. Okay, now this is a really big warning. There's constantly in investigations we come up with recent very low-level complaints, mm -hmm. in the past very serious complaints, which were known and no action was taken on. Mm -hmm. So they can be investigated in relation to the core of conduct that occurred, but standing alone they are not the basis for summary termination. Could David successfully make an unfair dismissal claim? Absolutely. And he would be successful and... The trick here is you would be arguing in your affidavit material, state material, that it was unsafe for him to return. So you'd be paying money rather than reinstatement. Now, the next question is RAT's business in New South Wales. RAT had nothing to do with this. But the question I do want to say to you is, yes, he could have put in a workers' compensation claim even after he was terminated because this was clearly, A, in all jurisdictions, you don't have to be employed to bring the claim. Mm -hmm. Okay. If it's in the immediate aftermath of termination, you can bring a claim. Mm -hmm. It's devastating for your premium because if they're not employed going forward, it maxes out the premium and this clearly wasn't reasonable management action. Yeah. So if it's a psychological claim, he's home and home. So there you go. That was a really tricky problem, wasn't it? And I'm sorry we gave you such a tricky problem, which was a very legal problem today, okay? But I think it's because we see so much confusion in this part of the process and we're always moving so quickly to get to the end of it, to do the right thing. That's right. Sometimes we miss key elements of what we need to do. So I'm sorry for those who may have felt they didn't get it right and feel bad about it. Don't. I crafted this deliberately to make it incredibly hard. It's 11 a.m. Somebody just told me. It's on my <laughs> own phone. It decided to tell me. Okay, guys, have a great weekend. And See thank you, you very much again. Okay. Bye-bye.